Thank you for joining us for Listen NGI Endoscopy. Throughout the series, Dr. Jonathan Buscalia hosts world-renowned expert clinicians to discuss the latest developments in gastroenterology-based diseases and the use of GI endoscopy in their diagnosis and management. This podcast is brought to you by the American Society for Gastrointestinal Endoscopy, home to more than 14,000 members worldwide and the leading voice for GI endoscopy. We thank our sponsor, Cook Medical, for making this series possible. Welcome back to the podcast, listeners. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Biscalia, professor of medicine in the Division of Gastroenterology at Stony Brook University on Long Island. And this month, I'm super pleased to have our guest, Dr. Field Willingham from Emory University. Uh, Field is the director of endoscopy at Emory University Hospital. He's also professor of medicine at Emory University School of Medicine. And Field happens to be our editor-in-chief of Video GIE for the ASGE. And he's also a friend of mine. So Field, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. So this month, we are talking about the endoscopic management of leaks and fistulas. And um, I thought about you um, when uh, coming up with, uh, with my colleagues to, uh, on this topic, because I know that you, number one, have a lot of experience in it. I know that you have published in it before. And um, yeah, yeah, we, uh, but uh, really you. And um, seriously, and, and I know that this is something that you deal with, um, you know, on a regular basis uh, clinically um, uh, down there at Emory. So, um, you know, I'm really excited to talk to you about this topic, and I think our listeners will be too. Let me, uh, let me start off with um, just getting your thoughts on, you know, general approach to leaks and fistulas and Obviously, these things have been managed surgically and endoscopically and with interventional radiology, but can you give us your thoughts on you know, how we should be thinking about them generally first? Sure. Yeah. Well, uh, let me say um, thanks so much for the invitation. It's great to be here with you. Uh, you know, we, we obviously uh, have uh, studied this together uh, over the years, so um, it's uh, an honor to be here joining the podcast. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a, a great uh, topic and uh, something that we see a lot and I'm um, happy to chat about it. Um, you know, I think one of the first things to think about, um, you know, we're part of the endoscopy community. And so we, you know, kind of are always thinking about, you know, going in and fixing it. I think though it's, it's important to um, think about the kind of uh, surgical principles for these sorts of things uh, before we get into, you know, trying to close them, you know, so the main thing that you want to avoid is a closed space infection. And so, you know, if there's a, a leak or a, a fistula um, that is, you know, communicating with the GI tract somewhere, it's, it's critically important to, uh, you know, to get that drained so that, uh, uh, you know, the patient doesn't develop uh, sepsis, which is one of the major complications of a, of, a, of a leak or a fistula. So um, remember getting that drain in place is, is critical. Um, you know, if the patient already has sepsis, then, you know, you're going to be managing that with resuscitation and antibiotics and uh, those sorts of things. And some, some patients may require surgery for like a 
a diverting ostomy or something like that. Um, but uh, but but remember, you know, really key is is kind of getting control of that of that closed space infection. And so a lot of times when it comes to us to close the fistula, you know, there's already a drain in place, which is which is key. So just kind of th be thinking along those lines. Um, you know, as you're seeing these patients, the drain can help you manage it too. Um, you know, a lot of times injecting the drain or sampling the fluid that's, uh, you know, that's coming out of the collection can, can tell you about the origin um, and uh, injecting the drain can sometimes show you what organ is communicating with and, uh, and that will be important in, in determining your management. Yeah. And I think that actually sort of touches upon, um, you know, the importance of this being a multidisciplinary approach, correct? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So um, you really want your surgeons involved, um, even though, you know, hopefully they will not have to operate on the patient. Um, you know, I, I like to have them involved in all these cases. A lot of times the patients will be coming from surgery because they are leaking from a, you know, a surgical anastomosis or suture line after, you know, gastric bypass or an esophagogegenostomy or something like that. Um, so many times they'll be coming from surgery, uh, but if surgery is not on board, um, then, you know, you certainly would want to consult them. Um, we've seen some patients who've had, uh, you know, like a, a weight loss or bariatric surgery in another country, and then they're, they're coming here for management and they may not be attached to a surgeon or to surgery. And, um, you know, even if we think we're going to be able to address this, you know, you really want to get the surgeons involved and, you know, have them kind of uh, participating in the, you know, care and decision making for the patient. Radiology plays a key role, too. So uh, imaging it, you know, there may be a contrast study uh, that's done that might show a leak. Um, there may be a drain that's placed, as we were saying. And so radiology will be another uh, big part of the, yeah. of the team. Yeah, makes sense. Um, Let's talk a little bit about, you know, before we get into the nitty gritty um, of endoscopic management, and we'll, we'll definitely talk about tools and, and your experience and stuff like that. But let's talk more about, you know, leaks and fistula in general. Um, tell me about your thoughts on the chronicity or the acuteness, if you will, acuity, sorry, of um, a fistula or a leak and, and how that might uh, change uh, our approach, if any. Yeah, so um, you know, if, if you are if you're dealing with uh, an acute um, perforation, say uh, you know, in the context of a procedure that you're doing, um, you know, then um, you know, presumably the tissue in that area is going to be healthy and vital and perfused, and um, you know, so uh, a closure there, uh, you know, may may be. Um, more likely to, um, you know, to hold and to be, um, uh, and to mature properly. Um, you know, sometimes if there's a, a chronic fistula, um, the tissue quality in the area can be poor, um, at which can make it more difficult to, you know, to oppose the tissue margins or for it to hold a, you know, a clip or an over the scope clip or sutures. And so um, the, the sort of duration um, can be kind of a proxy for for tissue quality, and that's going to be one of the big predictors of success with your approach. So it's a predictor of success. Uh, is it, does it also affect the tools that you choose in terms of, you know, generally speaking, in terms of managing them? 
Yeah, I mean, I would say it does if, um, you know, if the tissue quality is is not good and, you know, it's not going to, you know, support, uh, you know, the teeth of an over-the-scope clip or the sutures, then, you know, you may have to think about, you know, uh, other options for managing it. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I'd say the tissue quality um, in the area, the, the luminal area is going to be you know, one of the big predictors of, uh, you know, whether or not you're going to get a successful closure endoscopically. Yeah. Yeah. And in my experience, I feel like, you know, simple solutions like through the scope clips are in many ways, you're much more successful with acute issues where the tissue is fresh and healthy and could be approximated back together as long as it's not a huge uh, opening. Um, if you try to use them in a chronic situation, it, it becomes more of a challenge. Yeah, I, would I totally agree. So uh, endoscopic through the scope clips, um, we would use those very frequently for an immediate, you know, perforation uh, and, and very infrequently for, for like a chronic yeah. you know, fistula or, or uh, communication. Yeah. So um, along those same lines, uh, what about location. Um, you know, we're asked to manage everything from anastomotic leaks up in the neck from sort of transhiatal uh, esophagectomies in some cases, all the way down to maybe colorectal issues um, or uh, say, you know, colovesicular fistula or something like that and everywhere in between. So does the location within the GI tract matter uh, when when approaching these? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, some areas are just much easier to get to. Um, an esophagus or an esophageal anastomosis is, you know, more straightforward. I would say the, the anastomosis is closer to you and your scope's going to be a straight position. Um, you know, I, I find that duodenum is harder to deal with. You know, a lot of times it's better seen with a a side viewing scope, um, but of course the uh, all the sort of attachments like an over the scope clip or suturing device or those sorts of things are um, you know not used with a, a side viewing scope. So I find the duodenum more difficult. Um, similarly, uh, I'd say it's easier um, distally and in, in the colon um, if you have something very you know very proximal. Um, you know, you, you just have a lot of. Uh, you know, of, of distance to, to deal with, um, you know, in terms of introducing your, your um, mechanism or device to, to get at that fistula. The, I, I would say, you know, kind of even before we talk about that, that sometimes it's very hard to know where the fistula is. And so, mm -hmm. you know, this is a really a key, a key point again, you know, like you may be asked, you know, you know, jump right in there, you know, let's go fix that fistula. Um, but before you can really approach it, you have to be very clear about where it is and, and what structure it's communicating with. And, and a lot of times I feel like this gets short shrift before they've reached out to us, you know, um, in terms of like, what, what organism is it really coming to coming from? And so, you know, um, things that are helpful. Remember, you know, you can sample the fluid um, that's there. So you may want to get a fluid bilirubin or a fluid amylase and see, you know, is this a pancreatic fluid collection that's fistulizing or a bile leak? Um, you may find, uh, you know, stool or um, fecal material there, which would suggest an enteric source. Um, 
and and remember like a, a contrast study is is oftentimes um, very helpful so you know a, a, a barium swallow or gastrographin swallow or upper GI series can sometimes you know pinpoint the the level of the fistula very precisely even in a way that um, that cross-sectional imaging may not um, and that can be really helpful in terms of uh, showing you exactly where you're going to go to um, to try and achieve this closure. Yeah. Yeah. And so along those lines, uh, you know, you mentioned cross-sectional imaging and I would even take it one step further. I think it's important to be wise about um, talking to the radiologist uh, in terms of sometimes even when to or how to administer, say, oral contrast or even rectal contrast, right? Um, you know, sometimes... Um, if I have a leak, depending on where it is, you know, I, I want to, I want them to know so that they can time their images with say the swallowing of the oral contrast, right? I mean, if you are interested in an esophageal leak at, you know, um, depending on how large it is, sometimes if you give your oral contrast and then don't shoot your CT scan for, you know, half hour later, you're, you're going to miss some vital information. Um, and so you, you want to kind of try to make it as functional of a study as one can, even though it's just static images from a cross-sectional CT. And so I've, I've found that to be important as well as sometimes saying, hey, listen, we need to, you know, we need to deliver parectal contrast in this case, um, you know, because I think it's going to give us a better chance of identifying where that fistula is or something like that. Yeah, the the you know the luminal contrast is going to be is going to be very important, and you know there's even cases where there has been a leak, um, but there is not ongoing leaking, and so a cross-sectional scan may show you a leak or a fluid collection, and then if you give them uh, a study with luminal contrast like a rectal enema or uh, you know, or oral contrast, um, and there's not leak, you know, it may be, uh, on the way towards healing up on its own. And mm -hmm. so you might, you might approach that differently. So, um, you know, I find that that kind of luminal contrast is very important and then trying to pinpoint, you know, where it is. And then if there's still, um, you know, ongoing extravasation. Do you use any contrast, uh, under fluoroscopy during your procedures? Yeah, so um, so I think that's one of the uh, most helpful things. Um, certainly, if I'm bringing a patient in and we're wondering about a fistula, um, I'm always going to book it with fluoro and put them on the fluoro table, um, and then um, you know, lo trying to locate the fistula. Even if you have a good sense where it is, it can be very hard to see. And so sometimes you'll get your most sensitive exam by you know probing in you know these small um, you know small um, punctate areas and injecting contrast and seeing if you can confirm the extravasation. And again, in that setting, um, you know, you'll be, uh, if there's no drain in place, you'll be contaminating that collection. And so, um, you know, you really want there to be a drain in place um, when you, you know, when you start to inject contrast um, from a luminal um, takeoff. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay. Let's um, let's change gears for just a second, and let's talk a little bit about talk some of the tools and devices that we use to help us heal up these fistula and, and leaks. And I think probably one of the most, probably the two most common, are going to be clips, and that could be both over the scope and through the scope. And we can we'll talk about those, but and also stents, right? And so uh, let's start off with stents, if you don't mind. Um, 
tell me in your experience, uh, you know, what, what, what do I conjure up in your mind uh, when I say stents for healing leaks and fistulas? What, what, what comes to mind? What's your experience been? What can we learn from you? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, stents just in general can be extremely helpful. And, um, you know, a lot of times if you have a fistula um, or a leak, it's because you have a downstream obstruction, right? And right. Uh, so you don't have flow going to where it's, uh, you know, uh, um, anatomic. And so you end up with a, a leak. And so we see that um, a lot with, uh, with bile leaks or post-cholecystectomy injuries, um, surgical injuries, where um, there, there'll be, uh, you know, scarring, or even sometimes there's an unrecognized stone or ampullary stenosis. Um, and then certainly there can be a bile duct injury. And so, you know, in that case, um, diverting uh, flow back towards the lumen with a, like a sphincterotomy and a biliary stent, um, you know, it's really the key and you may not have to do anything to the actual injured area. Um, and that's the same uh, in a lot of cases for pancreatic injuries. So if there's a pancreatic leak and, um, you know, you, you will typically find um, on a pancreatogram, there's a stricture there. And so placing a, you know, placing a pancreatic stent uh, in many cases is sufficient to uh, get the collection to resolve. Um, so it's more about, uh, you know, sort of, as you said, relieving the obstruction, changing the flow dynamics. Uh, rather than actual sealing off the leak per se. Yeah, a lot of times if you can keep uh, there from being flow across mm -hmm. the fistula and divert that flow back to an anatomic uh, pathway, uh, then the fistula will close and um, heal up on its own. Mm -hmm. um, but if certainly if you have a high flow um, fistula, then it is it's unlikely to uh, you know, to um, close on its own. And, um, you know, that's, uh, and, and in, in some, in some cases, patients may be maintaining that, you know, um, open because it's better than, uh, you know, than, than the contents going elsewhere. And so, you know, you, your, your patient may be, um, you know, not healing it because, um, you know, now they have say, a you know, a cutaneous uh, fistula for pancreatic secretions, and that's better, you know, mm. than, uh, than accumulating somewhere else. And so it may maintain uh, sort of a pancreatic cutaneous fistula um, until, until we give it, you know, the proper, you know, kind of uh, luminal uh, pathway for yeah. drainage. Yeah. Uh, I just want to pause for just a second and thank our sponsor, Cook Medical, who's uh, supported this podcast series with the ASGE from the beginning. So thank you once again, Cook. Um, so what about stents field uh, in other areas outside of the pancreatic biliary system? Uh, what's your experience been there? What are the things that you think are most, you know, clinically important to, to tell our listeners in terms of pearls um, yeah. using stents for other parts of the GI tract? Yeah, so um, there there are lots of reports of uh, stents being used for um, for for like luminal leaks and fistulas and anastomotic um, leaks. So um, it's it's certainly something that is um, you know that is considered and is tried. Um, you know, I I do kind of have a personal preference for closing the defect, and so if that is possible, um, I I would rather approach it that way. Um, what you will have a lot of times is um, 
uh, sort of initial success on your, you know, on your follow-up, you know, contrast uh, study, and then the stent will migrate, and and then you're left with uh, a fistula with a migrated stent below it, and um, that, you know, is is not, uh, you know, kind of not a great outcome, and and um, you know you begin to kind of lose the confidence of your, you know, referring providers who, you know, are, are sort of wondering, is this, you know, are they ever really going to get this thing closed yeah. and the patient. So um, certainly there's a role for it and uh, you know, and, and there's, and there's lots of uh, reports uh, on it. Um, and I would say, you know, the, one of the main kind of worries is, is the, is the migration, which is pretty common. Um, now, sometimes the stents are being sutured in place and there's also, you know, some over the scope um, stent fix devices that can, you know, um, help keep your stent in place. So, um, you know, those things are, are kind of evolving to try and address that very high propensity for stent uh, migration in this sort of benign situation. Yeah, it's, it's funny how it's changed over the past 15 years, right? I mean, I think we've seen an explosion of closure devices, right? Every, everything that we've been talking about from the clips to the sutures to different ways to apply clips and sutures. And you know, that wasn't around 15 years ago um, to the extent if, you know, some of these weren't around at all, but many of them say through the scope clips weren't really used in this fashion 15 years ago. And so I'm sure you remember, um, you know, using something like a plastic polyflex stent to try to deal with a very large, you know, defect in the esophagus or something like that. And, and, you know, migration, yes, uh, was a big issue. Um, and, and, and like you said, you know, all the, all the methods that we use to try to, to prevent migration. Um, I think that, you know, when you have a leak or a leak associated with a stricture, it's always tricky, uh, but sometimes, uh, and depending on where the it is, you, you can benefit from a stent in that scenario and kind of deal with both. And I'm sure you've been in scenarios where you close and stent at times. I would say occasionally. Yeah, uh, there is there is a you know kind of that belt and suspenders approach taken sometimes. You know where where there'll be uh, some attempt made to close the primary and then. Um, you know, and then a, a stent uh, place to, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, keep keep flow from uh, traversing the area. Um, you know, I I, uh, I I would again sort of prefer that you know to get a really tight closure uh, on the you know on the actual area, um, and then um, you know if if you do get a good closure there, um, you know, you may not have to stent on top of it, but. Uh, but certainly you will see these, you know, kind of combination approaches um, shown in videos and reported. Okay. So um, we talked a little bit earlier about through the scope clips and, and where they're, you know, better uh, or more well-suited. Um, by the way, have you had much experience with some of the newer clips through the scope clips that have very wide diameter, um, yeah. you know, and, and your thoughts on that uh, pluses or minuses? Yeah, I think, um, I think they can be helpful. Uh, you know, there's a new like 17 millimeter diameter clip. Um, and, uh, you know, we um, have it on the shelf and use it for, you know, when there's sort of a larger uh, area of defect. Um, it, you know, I think it does get kind of a bigger, bigger bite of tissue. Um, one thing that, you know, I always 
tell uh, the fellas when we're working is, um, you know, don't uh, don't approach your lesion and try and, um, you know, clip the center of your defect together. A lot of times that will be unsuccessful. You know, generally I'm telling them to start, you know, just adjacent to the uh, to the perforation or the, the leak. Um, get, you know, get a big mouthful of tissue and kind of create that, you know, uh, that, that the start of your zipper, if you will. Um, and so, uh, you know, usually if you, if you start towards the edge, then that creates, you know, the next step that you can, uh, clip and, um, usually you'll, you'll begin to get a, you know, much more, um, uh, robust closure, uh, than if, you know, you're, you're trying to kind of approximate, uh, tissue that's, that's farther apart. So, um, you can really close a huge lesion with these clips, um, you know, by starting at the periphery or just adjacent and then, you know, kind of slowly kind of working your way, um, you know, uh, uh, towards the distal part of the yeah. uh, lesion. Well, I mean, I, I agree with you. And, and one of the things I like uh, about uh, when, when they're suitable for it, uh, using through the scope clips, like let's say in, a, in an acute injury, maybe that you caused, um, is it as one thing I always say is it is you can it allows you to never take your eyes off the problem, right? So if you if you do other things like you let's say you do an over the scope clip, um, or you decide to do sutures and you know uh, classic say the, the over over stitch or something like that, you're forced to remove the scope and um, and load your load the device onto your scope, which sometimes you know, you may cause more of a problem getting back in there, depending on the location and finding it. I'm thinking specifically like in the lower GI tract and high up in the colon or something like that, um, or higher up in the colon. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, you know, if you, if you end up with a perforation, you know, there's, there's usually some degree of like panic in the room, you know? And so I always, you know, try and tell folks, you know, take a deep breath, um, you know, make sure that you're using uh, CO2, you know, once you have a, you know, a leak or something, then, then you really want to be, um, you know, using CO2 for insufflation, get some antibiotics, you know, uh, you know, just sort of try and, and uh, focus on the problem at hand. And, and, uh, you know, um, it's fairly alarming when you, you know, when you see a perforation at first, um, but, um, you know, really, if you can get a good closure, uh, most patients are going to do well. Um, and so, um, you know, just trying to, you know, kind of, uh, focus on the problem at hand, um, is, you know, will allow you to get a good closure and, and allow the patient to avoid, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, leak or, or, you know, surgery down the road. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I totally agree, keeping your eyes on it and, uh, you know, um, approximating it, uh, you know, is, is a, is a important, um, yeah. pro or, or plus with, uh, yeah. Even if, clip. even if you're not going to use a through the scope clip sometimes to, to complete the closure, it's sometimes useful to put one in the area even because, you know, especially like I said, in the lower GI tract, it's amazing sometimes how it can be difficult to, to actually find the problem again. And, you know, um, so in any event, I, yeah, that's something that I've dealt with, but let's talk about over the scope clips now. Let's, what's your experience there been? What do you like about them with fistula and leak closure? What do you dislike about them? Yeah. So, um, I, I think they're, um, very effective. Um, uh, if, if you have a, you know, a smaller leak and, you know, even something up to, you know, like 
you know, like approaching two centimeters, even you may be able to close with uh, an over the scope clip. It gives you a very durable closure if you can, you know, get the tissue seated properly. Um, and so, um, you know, we usually, especially if it's a chronic um, uh, fistula, we'll usually try and, um, uh, you know, kind of clean up the edges by doing some APC or mm -hmm. some uh, cyto brush or both there. Um, and then, you know, going with your uh, over the scope clip um, and, um, you know, getting a really um, uh, sort of the real challenge is getting the fistula uh, sort of centralized within the cap. Um, but if you can, if you can really, you know, seat it well, um, then, you know, you'll get a very um, tight closure uh, and, uh, you know, one that is usually, um, uh, you know, highly likely to, uh, you know, to heal and, and resolve. Um, it's great for, uh, you know, like a non-healing uh, peg tube sites. You know, if somebody for some reason had a feeding tube and it just won't close, mm -hmm. um, it's great for those. Um, I, we've had great success with, uh, you know, anastomotic um, lesions, bariatric uh, leaks and that sort of thing. So, uh, I think that's a, it's a, a very helpful, um, device for this. Yeah. Um, have you ever had any difficulty? I, I have, <laughs> have you ever had any difficulty getting, uh, getting one through the, um, esophageal inlet, uh, at times I, I've had that experience a few times, which has made me change my game plan. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, uh, you know, we, we do all run into uh, problems, you know, um, uh, introducing larger devices, you know, and so, um, you know, you, you may have a patient with um, uh, eosinophilic esophagitis, um, or you may have a patient with, uh, you know, sort of a smaller UES. And so it, it can be hard to, you know, to pass um, scopes with, uh, you know, big um, big attachments on yeah. it, like the, like the over the scope clip, um, you can pre dilate in that setting. And so there's, you know, there's even a, like a pre dilating catheter made for the full thickness, uh, resection device that they make. Um, and so, you know, something like that, or even a savory, uh, you know, can help. Um, but, um, um, it, it is, it is a large diameter. And so it can be difficult to pass sometimes. Okay. Okay. Um, let's, uh, let's turn our attention to, to suturing a little bit. Um, you know, uh, what has your experience been in using sutures? Uh, I, I say overstitch, but now we, now we have other things like the, the extact device, uh, yeah. which has made suturing a little bit easier for certain types of things. I uh, personally haven't used it much on leaks and fistulas, more on closing, you know, large EMR defects, but give us your impressions here on this topic. Yeah. So, so remember the, the XTAC, um, which I think is a, is a really nice device. Um, it is, um, primarily a mucosal closure. And right. so it's not going to be, you know, full thickness, um, like a suture would be. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, easier in a way to deploy and, um, you know, uh, so, so, um, we are, we are, for example, seeing some reports of things closed, uh, in video GIE with the XTAC, even though it's fairly new device, um, there are now uh, reports that are, you know, you'll, you'll be seeing in the journal soon of, of using XTAC for, um, you know, for closing fistulas. So I think it's, uh, I think it's a, a, a nice, um, you know, a, addition to the, to the armamentarium, um, the suturing, you know, it's, a um, it's, it's a fairly, um, 
you know, the bulky device. And so you may have that same you know, question about introducing the scope. And then, um, you know, I'd say one of the main things too is um, the tissue quality. So, you know, you may think, well, this is a big defect. And so, you know, I'm going to use the suturing device to close it. And, and uh, that, that may be the best choice, but if the, uh, you know, if the tissue quality is not good, um, then uh, you may have trouble, you know, getting it to hold your mm -hmm. sutures in place and, and getting approximation. So, um, you know, so I think that's uh, just, you know, one of the challenges with a, with a big fistula with poor, with poor tissue quality, whatever you do is, is going to be a challenge. Um, and so, um, um, you know, those are the cases where, uh, you know, where other things may, you know, maybe, maybe discussed. And also, I, I would imagine, you know, location matters too, right? And your experience. I mean, this is a device that, um, you know, it requires some experience working with it before you um, try to use it in, certainly in an acute scenario, but um, even in a chronic scenario, I think that is a factor. And I think early on, the location is a factor, much easier to work in a, a large space like the stomach or the rectum versus, say, the esophagus or something like that. 100%. Yeah. Wow. So lastly, uh, I'm asking you this because I've had very little experience with it, but I'm curious to know if you've had any experience with other um, sort of, uh, you know, kind of adjunctive measures like glue or a mental patch or anything like that, that you have found to be helpful in, in dealing with some of these difficult situations. Yes. Um, so th there are, you know, a number of new things that are kind of coming down the, the pipeline. Um, so uh, oh, mental patching, um, we used to, uh, you know, uh, think about that in the context of like notes procedures. Right. Um, and so you might, you know, grab some momentum on your way back and pull it into your, you know, to your um, gastronomy and, and then close it. And, and, you know, uh, I think that's, uh, you know, um, fine, uh, fine thing to do. Um, glue, uh, injection, um, has been reported. Um, I'd say there's still not, you know, not a ton of data on, on glue, but, but there are, uh, reports, um, of, of glue. And then, um, you know, the, one of the new things that we're, we're seeing, I don't know, more, uh, about is, uh, sponges, um, you know, so they're, they're, uh, you know, kind of a vacuum sponge device. And so it'll be, uh, you know, past, uh, there'll be a, a catheter that goes through the nose and there'll be, you know, a sponge attached to the end and you'll actually place it across the defect into the cavity and it'll get connected to suction and it'll, you know, try and, and, uh, you know, clear out that cavity. And then, you know, over time, uh, you know, you, you will back it out and, and try and close your, you know, your defect there. So, uh, there may be some role, uh, coming for sponges as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. The endoscopic vacuum therapy has been really interesting and of the handful of cases that I've been involved in locally here, it's been super, super, uh, effective. So that's, that's very cool. Uh, most of the stuff has been stuff that we've jerry-rigged ourselves, right? So I wonder if time, uh, some somebody's going to market this into <laughs> an all-in-one package and and uh, capitalize on uh, some of the ingenious stuff that people have done. Uh, yeah, I, uh, hopefully. Uh, yeah, there, exactly. Hopefully, areas out there where you know we'd we'd love a, a shrink wrap product, right? Uh, yeah. You know that has ready to go. Yeah. 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 
Hey, listen, Field, this has been a lot of fun. I, uh, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your wisdom and experience with, uh, in this to- on this topic with us. Thank you. Oh, nice. Very nice. <laughs> well, uh, thank you again for the uh, invitation. Great, uh, great to see you uh, over the Zoom and uh, uh, happy to participate. Yeah, thanks so much, Field. Yeah. And listeners, thanks for uh, joining us once again. And we look forward to uh, sharing some more good topics at our ASGE podcast, Listen In in the near future. Thanks so much. Thank you again for joining us and to our sponsor, Cook Medical. You can find the full series at ASGE.org, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.